Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms and 127. Psalm 127. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Solomon, King Solomon. And we're at the very beginning part of this series where we had taken time to examine where Solomon came from, the parents of David and Bathsheba, and the events that encircled there. We've already covered where Adonijah attempted to try to take the throne, but that people intervened and now Solomon is on the throne and that Adonijah is going to be dealt with. Now David is still alive and as David is still alive he has done everything he could to prepare for Solomon to be successful in building the temple. That David has gathered the materials, he's gathered the wealth, he's gathered the workers, he's trying to do everything he could to prepare Solomon to build the temple. David has also taken time in his feeble old age to stand before the crowd and address all of Israel and announce to them that Solomon not only is to be the heir, but he also has a purpose, that God has given him the purpose of building the temple and that the people are supposed to be willingly to follow after him and they would receive God's blessings. And then as we saw this morning, as David now is preparing for death, he writes his his last two Psalms. This morning we had saw from Psalm 72 that David is taking time to talk to Solomon and to prepare Solomon to give him some last things. And we saw a Psalm for Solomon. And now we come to one of the last Psalms that David wrote. And once again, it is going to be addressed for the purpose of Solomon. Notice with me in Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and notice with me in verse 1. Psalm 127 and verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except God keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. And once again, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something we find in the title of this psalm? Remember, for the Hebrew people, they consider the titles inspired. And notice this where it says a psalm song of degrees for Solomon for our title. We'll just shorten it. A song for Solomon. A song 
for Solomon. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we open up the scripture, we're asking that you would open it up our understanding and illuminate it with your precious Holy Spirit, that we could get the sense, get the understanding, that we could also see the context that Solomon is being encouraged by David to depend upon the Lord, to keep his eyes on him. And I'm asking that we would learn this same idea that we can trust you completely for all things. Once again, I dare not trust my own. So the best I know how, I surrender my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals I give to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished and that you would draw men close to you because of what your word says. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as David is beginning in his last who long knows how long he has on earth, he's trying to do everything he can to help Solomon succeed. He has prepared for the temple. He's prepared the people. He's prepared the throne. He has done everything he can. And now, one last time, with pen and paper in hand, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this song down in Psalm 127. Now, as the title points out, it is a song for Solomon. However, it was later on King Hezekiah who put it together and put it together in a section of the Psalms that we would call the Songs of Degrees. The Song of Degrees was a very special hymn book inside of Psalms made of 15 Psalms and they were made to be songs sung by the Hebrew pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, or perhaps when they're ascending Mount Zion on the steps of the temple. But it was something that the Hebrew pilgrims would take seriously. It would be made something to be an encouragement, something to help them take the next step, and then the next step, and the next step. It would be something that we'd have as a reminder to them that they needed to trust the Lord on their journey as they're trying to get closer to God, as they're moving towards God, as they're trying to accomplish what God has given to them. These songs of degrees would be used to help encourage them to keep their eyes on the Lord. And so we're thankful that good godly Hezekiah arranged these and put these together and that they were put in a section of a special hymn book of the Song of Degrees. But this is a very special song and it becomes even more powerful when you put it in the context. Here is King David Writing to King Solomon, he's turning the kingdom over. He's turning the plans of the temple over. He's putting everything in Solomon's hands. But yet, that is not enough. You could have all the materials. You could have all the plans. You could have everything you want. But if God is not in it, you labor in vain that build it. Which brings us to the very first thing that we see in this psalm. Things that are vanity. Things that are vanity. Remember the word vanity in the Bible carries with it the idea of empty. That it's empty. It's vain. It's worthless. It's, it's like carrying smoke or fog. It just, it just dissipates. It doesn't solidify. It doesn't become something solid. Something you'd hold on to it. And in fact in this psalm it lists three things that are vanity, that are empty. Notice with me if you don't mind the first one, working in vain. Working in vain. Notice with me if you don't mind starting at verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. We understand that good intentions cannot carry you far enough. 
that someone can go with an idea. Let's say that Solomon. Solomon can go and say, I have every intention to build this house for the Lord. But if it's not done with God's power, God's strength, God's might, God doing it, it's going to become empty in vain. That all of your things that you want to do for the Lord, you have to realize very early on, you cannot do God's work. Only God can do his work. He wants to use you as an instrument, but only God can do his work. So many times people struggle and strive and labor just to watch it fall apart. The Bible says it this way later on in the New Testament, be not weary in well-doing. That carries the idea of working in your own strength, in your own power, that you're trying to go forward and trying to do it yourself. But God never intended us to live the Christian life under our own power. He always intended for him to do the work and us just be the instruments. Notice again the context or what he says, except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it. Now, we could easily take the house and understand that there are several things that have been referred to as a home, a house. We know that let's apply a church. We know Jesus very clearly said in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 16, when he's looking at Peter and he says, Peter, upon this rock, and Jesus points to himself, upon this rock shall I build my church. Notice he didn't say to Peter that Peter, you will build my church. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'm going to build your church. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to build your church. Jesus said, I am going to build my church. So whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. Who's responsible for building it? Jesus. He wants to use human instrumentality to get it done, but it has to be dependent upon God. You understand? It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. God is the one has to do it. God's the one has to put it together. That it has to be done God's way or it doesn't work. It has to be prompted by God. Think about how many times people with good intentions, I'm going to do something for God. But they failed to pray. They failed to get instructions. And they try to do it themselves. And they wonder why. Why is it not happening? Maybe I could do an illustration. Zeb, come up here if you don't mind. In the book of James, it speaks about pride. And it says, God resisteth the proud. What's the idea of pride, by the way? The Bible defines pride Pride in the book of Habakkuk, the opposite of pride, <coughs> faith is pride, meaning that you're either trusting God or you're trusting in yourself. And so if you have the pride where you're trusting in yourself and you're trying to get it done, God says in the book of James that God resisteth the proud. So let's imagine that he's going to push up against me. Now he's getting bigger and bigger all the time. I don't know how long I can withstand it. But you notice that as he puts more effort, he is going to, in order to keep him in place, he's going to be resisted even more. Come on, now you can be stronger than that. All right. So as he's putting more effort into it, he's being resisted more, okay? It says, where God resisteth the proud, but notice this, he giveth grace to the humble. Now, there's very little effort. In fact, God is helping them along. Unless the, 
except the go ahead, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That we can attempt to do something for God in our own strength, in our own intellect, in our own power. And what happens? We labor in vain. It becomes empty. It becomes unfruitful. It becomes resisted. That God's work must be done God's way in God's power and God's strength. Except they build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, as David is talking to Solomon, this could be a very real threat. This could be a very real thing. That Solomon has all the building materials. He has everything paid. He has all the workers set. And anything that is not already set, he has enough money to purchase it. Everything's set up. It's handed to him. It is very easy to say, you know what? I got this. This is easy. And attempt to do it himself. In fact, that's probably when we think we have it the easiest. That's when it's easier to try to do it in our own strength. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Well, you know, you can move this to past a church house or a temple house of the Lord and you could build it to your home. We know that the context later on is going to talk about children so it's not violating scripture. You know, except the Lord build your house that they labor in vain that build it. That even the idea of raising kids or raising people for the Lord of training people correctly that has to be done in God's power. Many of us have our own horror stories of we try to do it ourselves and spend empty nights just pulling out our hair. Why isn't it working? And filling up. Unless, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. One of the things that is vanity is working in vain when we're doing in our own strength and our own power and our own might. Notice there's something else that's in vain. Worrying in vain. Sorry. Before that. Watching in vain. Watching in vain. Notice with me in verse 1 again. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Notice it goes on with another thing. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. What's something else in vain? Well here's a watchman. Unless God is the defense, unless God is the one protecting, unless God is doing everything, we can do everything we want to plan, to protect, to put a defense, to set things over, and still fall short. If we try to fight in our own strength, things will collapse. We must be dependent upon the Lord. This idea of watching. So here's a scene that here's a man who's standing on a, on a, on a, the tower. It's in the middle of the night. His job is to watch for the enemies. And so I'm looking. Oh there's the enemy. Alright. Man the defenses. Sound the alarm. Get things going. But do you understand. There's only so much that he can do. If they come with an overwhelming force. If they come with technology that they're not prepared for. If there becomes a surprise attack. It does not matter. How much they watch. How much they prepare. We know that the other factor is that God has to be in it. God has to do it. That we could watch in vain. We know that all of us, 
I've been trained in our American eyes that we're supposed to plan. We're supposed to prepare. We're supposed to organize. We're supposed to set things in order. We're supposed to get friends and influence people. We're supposed to do this and do this and do this. And then we find after we do all of that, it's still not successful. That we have to understand that God has to be involved. That God's work must be done God's way with God's power. Otherwise, all your preparation, all your planning, all your scheming, all your uh, desires will all be in vain and empty if you try to do it yourself. We understand that working can be in vain without God. Unless God build the house, unless God do the watching, that the working is in vain. The watching is in vain. Something else, worrying is in vain. Worrying is in vain. Notice with me in verse 2. It is vain. It is empty. It is a waste of time for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Verse 2 talks about worrying. Now, many of you are expert warriors. I meant you know how to get worrying done. You, 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 you know that you got the PhD. If anybody wants to take a class about worrying, you could teach it. And all of the worrying that you've learned how to do, that you go to bed and you just stay up and your mind won't shut off. So you go downstairs and you start pacing and you try to watch TV and you try to play solitaire and you try, but just, oh, you just have to worry about this. It's almost like if you worry about it enough, you're going to affect the outcome. And it doesn't matter how long you stay up. It doesn't matter how early you wake up. It doesn't change anything. All that worrying, all that stress, all that beating yourself up, all that pacing, all that crying, the bread of sorrows didn't change or affect the outcome any. Maybe it's the idea that you got to face the boss tomorrow and maybe there's something you suspect that you're in trouble. And so, oh man, it's been a long weekend. Oh, I got to face the boss. And so, you know what? I'm not going to sleep at all Friday. I'm going to spend all my Friday night worrying. And you know what? That will help me to be ready. And Saturday now, I'm so tired, uh, I could just barely function. And so I just kind of minimum get things done. But you know what? Saturday night, instead of sleeping, I'm back on duty. I'm worrying again. I've got things. This is good. Worry, worry, worry. All right. Okay. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Oh, what happens if they do this? What happens if the boss says this? Oh, come on. Come on. Okay. So finally... Saturday, you don't sleep well. Comes time for church. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and honor the Lord. Oh, good preaching. Yes. And so you're tired. Sunday night hits and you're back on duty to worry. Oh man, I got to face the boss tomorrow. I mean, I know the boss has just had it. I don't know what I'm going to do. If I say this or if I do this, or maybe if I bake them a birthday cake, or maybe if I show up extra early, and give them donuts and you show up on Monday and the boss is like, how are you doing? Great. Good. Have a good day. Was it your worrying that affect that? That was your mind powers that, that fixed it? Maybe it's a health issue. I mean, many of you have discovered that if you worry enough, it'll make the health issue better, right? 
Or maybe it's the idea that you got some family problems. I meant this knucklehead family member has just about wrecked their life. And so I'm going to worry on their behalf of how they're going to fix things in their life. And you know, if I just, oh, I just can't sleep because, oh, what are we going to do about so-and-so? And all of your worrying just made them where they called on Monday and said, guess what? I just saw the light. Everything changed. I'm going to be better now. Thank you for worrying for me. It made the difference. All we're doing is we're losing out on precious sleep that God willing offers to it. Say, how can I sleep? You learn to trust God with it. You learn to take your hands off. Say, Lord, I don't even need to know what you're going to do about this. All I need to know is that you've got things handled. That's all I need to know. You've got things handled. Then I'm going to sleep and trusting you and you could do the job. And God can give us beloved sleep. And let God work it out because he can do a lot better than what we can. We can trust God. Worrying just becomes exhaustion that takes away our sleep. But we can allow God to change and take our situation. So David is writing this and he's trying to hit Solomon and trying to say, listen, I don't want you to work in vain. I don't want you to watch in vain. I don't want you to worry in vain. I want you to keep your eyes on God. And I want you to trust him. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Keep your eyes on him. Put your dependence upon him. Put your trust on him. Let him work. Can you trust him? Now, I understand there's a practicality in there. Pastor, how do I stop worrying? How do I turn it off? How do I keep my, stop planning and scheming and, and working? How do, I, how do I not do it? Well, first of all, it comes with, can you trust God? Sure, I can. Then the next question, are you willing to trust God? There's many people who say, I know I could trust God, but you're not willing to trust God. Can you take your hands off? Remember, the great illustration of commending things to the Lord comes from a young lady by the name of Jochebed. Who lived in a land where it was illegal to have men child. Um, Any baby that was born that was male was ordered by the government to be killed immediately. And so... What do I do? They had the baby and they tried to keep him quiet for a while. But many of you realize that you cannot keep an infant quiet on command. It doesn't work that way. And so she goes, we're going to be in trouble. We've got to do something. And so she built uh, archibald rushes and put it with pitch within and without. And she put it in the river. And when she put it in the river, the hardest thing she ever did was take her hands off of it and say, God, I trust you, and walk away. That is such a hard thing to do. By the way, it may not be a baby Moses in that thing. It could be your health, your family, your schemes, your whatever else. And you have the hardest time because you want your hands on it. You want to do something to help God. You want to do something to have some control. That's the idea there is that we want control. 
Can you trust God? Can you put it in the basket, put it in the river, take your hands off, walk away? God, you have it and I'm not picking it back up again. And anytime you start going, wait, 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 you stop. Nope, nope, nope. Hands off. But nope. I understand this is hard. It was not easy for Jochebed. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, I'm tired of this kid anyways. It was a hard thing. The hardest thing she'd ever done. And some of you are such professional warriors. It is the hardest thing you could ever do to put it in the basket, take your hands and walk away. Or to take your schemes and allow God to do the planning. Allow God to do the organizing or your work. Oh, I, I'm, I can do the work. I do the work. I'm going to get it done and depend upon your work. I understand I'm not asking something that's easy. I'm asking for the hardest thing you ever can do is to let your worries go. Let your work go. Let your watching go. Take your hands. All right, God, I trust you. I trust you. How do I know if I'm trusting God? Can you sing? Now I understand. I say that sometimes and people may misinterpret me. I'm not saying can you sing a song. I'm saying can you sing a song and mean it? Can you mean what you say? Think about the words. I'm not saying you sing a song to distract your mind. Can you trust him? Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He can save you, he can save you, he can save you now. Can you trust him? Do you believe it when you say it? Or are you trying to convince yourself? Do you believe him? We understand God can do a better job of taking care of all of those things than you could ever do. If not, your working's in vain, your watching's in vain, your worry's in vain. But there's something else that he wants to talk about Solomon. Not only the things that are in vanity, the things that are empty, the things that are going to mess him up if he doesn't keep his eyes on the Lord. He also says, let me tell you about some things with value. Let me tell you some things with value. Notice with me in verse number three. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Our children have value and they are what we are to invest our lives into. They are a heritage. They're what is going to carry on past us. They're what we should be in spending our time and our efforts. They're what we should be investing in because they are the future. They're going to be passing on. Children are what we leave this world when we pass on. And when we're gone, the children are going to remain. Notice it says, the lower children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. God's the one who makes the baby. He grants us with children as a reward and a blessing. Children are all blessings. You may not feel like a blessing, but let me tell you, you're a blessing. God has a purpose for you. God created that 
child with a purpose and has expected us to raise that child for the purpose with his help and his guidance unless the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it he helps expects us to raise that child with him doing all the work and us just being obedient to him to live for the Lord notice he gives on and gives more of an illustration verse 4 as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man so are children of the youth. Now notice this. A lot of people will put the emphasis on the arrows. And we know that the arrows are going to be brought up again. But notice this. As the arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. There are some of you who I could give a bow and an arrow tonight. And I'm not worried about you shooting me. Amen. You may be wor more worried about shooting yourself. So we understand there's a difference. There's somebody who's never held it before that they pick it up and go, what in the world? How do I hold this and shoot the arrow and it falls down beside them? I don't know if you've ever shot bow and arrow. We were raised with it, but there's a way to hold it. There's a way to pull back. There's a way to aim with it. There's <laughs> ways to do it. I'm always amazed. I heard of a preacher. He goes every year to go bear hunting with a bow and arrow. I mean, you're like out of your mind, but... If he's that good, man, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that is in the hands of a mighty man. Someone who knows what he is doing. Now, so what it's talking about here is that someone who knows what he's doing. Now, remember, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. When you're going to have arrows that are going to be useful, it starts off with the archer disciplining himself. He has to be disciplined. You could tell the arrow, come on, shoot straight. I'm depending on you, shoot straight. But if the archer is not disciplined, it doesn't matter how much you yell at the arrow. There has to be a discipline, a training, a preparedness, a dependence that the archer has before the arrows can do anything. Notice again, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. We understand that the arrows are great. They are created. They have a purpose. All arrows have a purpose. But it's in the hands that they're in that makes the difference. That if we are going to raise up kids to be a heritage for the Lord, it doesn't start with the arrows. It starts with the archer. That the archer has to be disciplined. The archer has to be trained. The author archer has to be prepared. The archer has to already have all of these things in him. In order for the arrows to do their job. So we understand we can look at the arrows as much as you want. But the archer has to be prepared. Notice as it continues to go on in verse number Four, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. <clears throat> in order for him to fashion, the archer to fashion the arrows the way that they should and make them shoot straight, there's a training that goes along. But when the arrow does what it's supposed to, there's a pleasure, there's a contentment, there's a happiness that comes with it. Because why? Children are heritage of the Lord. And when the children are trained properly to serve the Lord, notice what it says in verse 6, happy is that man. That word happy is often put as the word 
blessed. That man is blessed. He's happy. He's thankful that he has a quiver full of them. What is this them? The arrows that have been properly trained. Not just any arrows. We know that there's a lot of people who have their quiver full of arrows that don't work. And it doesn't make them happy. But when the children are trained, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that do, that, that do it. We understand that God has to do the training. God has to work in the instrument, has to be obedient to what God has given him to do. But as the instrument is obedient and God does the training and the arrows are doing what they're supposed to and that they're useful tools in the hands of the person using them, man, it is a blessing. Let me tell you, it said that so are the children of the youth. You know, there's something about youth who know how to serve God that reinvigorates a church, that puts life in a church. When the children say, listen, we want to go tell people about the Lord. Great. When the children say, listen, we want to sing for the Lord. Great. Most of the time you have to try to convince kids to sing and then kind of mm, fine if I have to. When kids say, I want to play an instrument for the Lord. I want to be an encouragement. I want to serve. I want to follow God. I want to pass out a track. I'm waiting to win my first soul to the Lord. There's something to that. And happy are they, blessed are they when their quiver is full of them. When you have arrows that are ready to be used of God and God says, all right, I'm going to pull this one. This one's been prepared. It is a blessing. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But when God does the building and the children are prepared, the youth are prepared, that's our heritage that we're giving. They're the ones who are going to carry God's work forward. They're the ones who are going to do the building afterwards. They're the ones who are going to continue to see people get saved and continue to work go forward. That it should not be that a church dies after each generation. It should be that a church is getting stronger and stronger with each generation because the children, the teenagers, the youth, the 20 year olds are all on fire for God and said, we're going to live with God the rest of our life. Come on, let's go. Yes, yes, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not ashamed of the arrows that God has prepared for us. These are arrows that we're glad to have. We don't hide them away. Notice this. But they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Meaning that we could trust them to go out in the world and not affecting the world to affect them, but they're going to do an impact there. They could engage in this world. You know, it's, it's amazing. I watch people do all this all the time where they train people to go in the defensive position. We're just going to hold out till Jesus comes us forward no more. We're just going to hold on here. You understand we reference that passage in the book of Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus was talking to Peter and it said, Peter, upon this rock shall I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, thinking about an award for a thing, if you are at the gates of hell, are you on the offense or the defense? Offense. One of our mistakes is that we've tried to make Christianity on the defense and we're supposed to be in the offense. 
We're supposed to be taking ground. We're supposed to be see victories won. We're supposed to see lives change. It should be a common thing as God is getting victories. That the greatest day should always be ahead. And that Satan should not be taking ground after ground. We should be taking ground and they should be saying, listen, they're going to break through the gates. What are we going to do? And we're saying, God's going to do this. Let's go. That should be how it is that even the kids, we're not worried about the world taking apart the kids. We're sending the kids out because they're going to go get people saved and bring them in from the world. That's a power of youth. It shouldn't be just old fogies trying to do God's work. There should be a training in the youth and training them to serve God. Training them to be used of God. And watching God use them, remember it's God that's doing it, to see victories won. As David is writing this to Solomon, he's trying to convince him and trying to tell him, listen, keep your eyes on God. It has to be dependent upon you. But let me tell you, when you let God do his work, so many wonderful things can be happen. That if you do let God do his work, even the kids that you have an influence on can still serve God and still continue and not stop. That's what we should be looking for. That's why we believe in investing in children here and trying to work with kids and giving them things to do. That there's plenty of opportunities to keep them on fire for the Lord. To let them see them, uh, people come to know Christ as a Savior. In fact, I am still convinced that most of the young people are the ones that bring in more people to visit in this church than anyone else. I'm at the ladies meeting. Think about the ladies meeting that happened. We had all those ladies here. Most of those came because of the young people inviting. We know some of you got some of your victories in, but there was a lot of people that came because of the kids inviting. Harness them up. Let them do their work. God can do amazing things. That's the whole point of this. It's not dependent upon us. It's all dependent upon the Lord. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Let's put our dependence upon him. As God is moving this church forward, it's him that we're depending upon. As we're looking forward to seeing these young kids take their place in serving God, we're depending on God to do that. We're just going to be obedient to what God has given us to do. The greatest days are still ahead. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.